It's pretty funny considering I'm like the most straight edge person like you will ever meet. So, I mean, I don't drink, smoke, do drugs. I don't even rip the tags off my mattress. Like, seriously. I don't even rip the tags off. I render, I render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of Adventures in Angular. Today on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello there. Lucas Rubilke. Hi, guys. Katya Eames. Hello. And returning as our favorite panelist, Aaron Frost. Hello. My name is Joe Eames. I'll be your host. And we have a special guest today, which is Dan Walleen. Hey, guys. Danny boy. (laughs) Danny. Dan, one of our favorite guests to have on the show and a favorite speaker at conferences. Do you want to give us a little introduction about yourself, Dan? How do you pronounce your name again? Doesn't everybody get it wrong? Everybody (laughs) does get it wrong, but you know, Ward, at this point, I just punted. Is it it's Dan? just time to move on. No, I, actually, I think he said I probably wasn't paying attention good enough. He said I'm it right. It. But Walleen, said. yeah, Dan Walleen. Walleen. So I run a consulting and training company. So we do a lot of projects. I'd say about 90% of them nowadays are Angular-based, which keeps it fun. And I live out in Arizona, where it's starting to get in the 90s already. So are you I the owner? It. You say you run it. Does that mean you own it or you manage it? I own it. Okay, cool. Or at least pretend to own it, you know. You know how that yeah. <laughs> For pretense. That's right. <laughs> so, Dan, you've been pretty heavily involved with Angular, and you're a pretty big personality in the Microsoft world. Before that, now you become a big Angular personality. Can you give us a little bit of background of you know your involvement in the community? Yeah, so I think my biggest hobby is just exploration, right? Can't go to space yet, but I just stick with tech. Did you register to go to Mars? You know, I did not. The wife shot that one down, you know, considered it, of course, but. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like to explore. So, I'm always looking at new stuff, new technologies. Angular's kind of my core nowadays, and JavaScript in general, I guess you could say. But, like to do, you know, various open source stuff, have quite a bit out there on GitHub, speak at various things, like to hang out with you guys from time to time, like at the awesome ng-conf, things like that. I'm going to see. Dan's one of the funner guys to hang out with. At NGConf, it was like 3 in the morning or no, 2 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You and I had to like blow up a bunch of sharks that we were going to fly through the air. I think that was you guys. Yeah. You were and mostly conscious at that. Uh, I was point. like passing out, but I needed someone to talk to. So I walk out to the lobby and talk with you guys for like an hour. And, we were up till... and we had a blast though, right? Like that oh, was it was fun. awesome. We were up till, God, what time did we go to bed? Like. 3.30 or 4 or something, something like that? Something like that. By the way, those oh, sharks really? floating around, they were hilarious. We were late. Ward changed costumes like five times. I mean, it was crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can actually set your clock by how many times he changes his costume. Yeah, exactly. So, Dan, you've spoken at NGConf. You've done a lot of things. And it seems like lately twice. you've been heavily involved at twice, right? So all of lately them. Been... <laughs> right. Yes, right. Batting a thousand. Yeah. It does seem like lately you've been heavily involved with Microsoft in their TypeScript. And that's our topic today is TypeScript with Dan Wallin. So can you give us maybe a little bit of background on your involvement with Microsoft in the TypeScript language? Yes. Yeah, so John and I, who he must be tied up, I'm guessing, but John, Papa and I, we got started pretty early, right when probably in the beta. In fact, Ward, you were probably on some of those calls back then, too. And we kind of saw the potential, you know, and said, hey, this is actually kind of cool because my big elevator pitch on TypeScript is you can basically leverage the future today without a lot of risk there. And so, yeah, we, we got started early. We even did a Pluralsight course way back when. And I don't think anybody watched it back then. But now all of a sudden people are interested. So that worked out all right. And then consulting wise, we've actually done there's a particular big company here in Chandler who happens to make computer chips that we all use. And we did some projects with them as far as no uh, free publicity, though, huh? You know, some of these companies, they get really sensitive. If you mention their name, actually, right. it's kind of crazy. Yeah. If you go read the fine print on the contracts, they'll actually say no mention in talks, no mention in, you know, no logo usage, and it's crazy. We can mention them, right? We can say their name. I'm not under any con- yeah, contract. Yeah, I'm sure I can actually say it. It's obviously Intel, <laughs> but anyway, now you just coaxed it actually, out of me. And wait, obviously well, I was a, thinking you were talking about AMD. Oh, yeah, we could have been AMD as well. But anyway, they've been doing Video, a lot of TypeScript, bro. and they jumped in really, really early. And now they're loving it, of course, because, you know, that's sort of the direction things are going now with ES6 and TypeScript and all that. So, yeah, between those projects and some training stuff, now all of a sudden with, you know, the announcement, obviously, at ng-conf, then there's a renewed interest. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I like it a lot, though. For people who don't know, why should they care about TypeScript? That is an excellent Ooh, question. question, man. Yeah, I that's just the steps up to the, the plate. Oh, that's why <laughs> your dad must be so <laughs> proud. <laughs> yeah, so my answer there is I'm a big fan of Gulp. And with Gulp, you can, and, and Grunt, you know, or Broccoli or whatever your picks are these days. Is it Broccoli? I haven't used Broccoli, but I think that's what it is. You know, you could go the ES6 route, of course, and I know a lot of people doing that seem to be successfully. It's still pretty kind of cutting edge, I think, world. But the TypeScript world, what I like about it is right now, out of the box, it's really easy to get started with. You know, you mentioned, yeah, it's from Microsoft, but they're really, really pushing. The TypeScript is an open thing that anybody can use. So, you know, a lot of the stuff coming out is going to be related to, you know, running on Mac or running on Linux or whatever you want to do there. And so for me, what I like about it is kind of future-proofing your apps, in my opinion. And that's because, number one, you have a full team behind it. It is going to be generated. Right now, you can choose ES3, ES5, or ES6 output. The ES6 is not quite what you'd think yet for the output, but that's just because most browsers don't fully support ES6 you know, yet, although it's getting there. So go back to what you're talking about with ES6. I assume the TypeScript's always output into ES5. You actually have three options. The ES6 option right now, I haven't tried it with the latest build of 1.5, but with like the 1.4 that's officially out, if you're in Visual Studio, as an example, there you can right-click, go to Properties, and set it to ES3, ES5, or ES6. If you're using Gulp, Grunt, or one of the others, you can configure that through your task. But you uh, said that ES6 isn't what you would expect. Yeah, as in they're not outputting actually full ES6 code yet. There's still a lot of polyfill stuff they're having to do. Because they can't guarantee it'll work everywhere. Yeah, it's not right. in the browser yet. 
text. Right. I can't get it out there like that. That makes sense. I think it was when 1.4 came out, they introduced the ES6 output. And there's actually, I'd have to go read the post on the differences and all that. But they basically said that, I think they're just adding the options so that they can move to it. But to be honest, I don't use it. I do the ES5 option. So you're not sure, like, are they actually outputting some ES6, assuming that the browsers are going to support it? Or do you have to, like, tell it, hey, these are the browsers I got, so it knows which ES6 features it can can even use? No, right now it doesn't do any of that. It's just going to output compatible code. But I think the goal is, once the browsers are past where we're at today, that they will output, you know, ES6 compatible code. And that way they can do things like async await, which will be ES7, or whatever we're going to call it. That makes more sense because a lot yeah, of... Yeah, but how is that different than the ES5 output? Right now, it's not that much. Yeah, right now, if you go do it, it'll actually be really similar. But like I said, I'm not actually using the ES6 output, so I'd actually have to run it through well, and see the, the difference. The ES6 output could be legit. Like, a lot of people are writing in Node, and so who cares what browser support you have? If you yep. turn Harmony Flags on, then you've got the support. It's built in already, so... I'm thinking it's just going to go to ES6, no polyfills on the stuff that's already ready, but even no. Is anybody calling it JS2015 at all? Yeah, I keep seeing that and I hate that. I'm too no, used to it. No, it's too. Like, <laughs> Axel and I, we gave a talk on Monday at FluentConf and he and I both talked before. We're going to keep calling ES6. The books being written on it are calling ES6. ES2017 is when it will really take effect. Or ES2016, sorry. No one's going to call this one ES2015. I thought it was JavaScript 2015. No one's going to call it that. Are they going to be calling it twenty sixteen or JavaScript 2016, do you know? ES2016 is what it will be called. It's the community that's doing the releases that's naming it. It's not the JavaScript community. It's the ECMAScript community. Right. Right. Dan, you mentioned that you get sort of type support during design time, but what are some of the other things that TypeScript does for you during development? The biggest thing I think is, number one, the type support. Obviously, they've added the annotation type feature for Angular and some other frameworks out there that want it. But I think the biggest selling point is that you can just catch a lot of issues up front. So as an example, JavaScript doesn't support interfaces. And I'm sure you've all, you know, passed in a settings object, you know, an object literal and you kind of hope that you cased your properties right. You know, you read the docs and hope you type it right and all that. Unless you have unit tests or something to back that up, which hopefully you do, but not everybody does. It's really easy to screw up. With TypeScript, you can actually add things like interfaces. And if you're not familiar with the interface, for those that are listening, in a nutshell, it's basically just a code contract. So if you had a settings object that takes, let's just pretend something simple, first name and last name, then you could have an interface in your code that says, hey, this is of type I settings. I for interface. And I settings has first name and last name. Now, if you maybe forget one of those, you know, one of them is not optional, let's say, and the other one is or something like that, then the compiler can actually catch that and let you know up front. And so on larger scale apps, you know, if you're on a small app, you'd probably say, ah, who, you know, who gives a crap? Nobody cares. But on a larger app, it's really easy to make those kind of mistakes when you have a lot of team members. And so one of my favorite things, in addition to the types, based on your question, is interfaces. Of course, when it generates the you know ES5 type code, they're nowhere to be found. It's just a build time, dev time type of operation. So that's kind of some of my favorite things. What about refactoring? Is it easier to refactor your code with TypeScript around? I think it depends on your editor. In something like Visual Studio, absolutely. But if you know your editor doesn't support a, a refactoring feature and doesn't have a TypeScript plugin or something, then probably not. 
But I think just manual refactoring, I still think it's a lot easier because now you're a lot safer if you're kind of manually, you know, redoing things. And when I was talking about refactoring, I'm kind of talking about a more automated way, you know, through an editor. But if you're doing it manually, then I think it's a lot easier to catch errors like change requests. You know, everybody loves change requests, right? Because you're always hoping that, you know, screw up the system and that you have a unit test to back it up and all that. Well, with TypeScript, it makes it really, maybe not easier, but much better to catch those type of, you know, change request errors you might have introduced without realizing it, such as you left out a property that was required and, you know, an interface said you had to have that, something along those lines. I read this on a post somewhere, and I want to get your reaction to this, okay? this I'm quoting for you. The guy says, I know TypeScript is cool and saves time, but to be honest, this is a Microsoft product. They <laughs> almost always start a new product line and eventually drop it. I fear investing time and energy into TypeScript to find out that they're just trashing it. What are your feelings on that? Basically, what I'm saying is, is it worth it just writing straight ECMA 5, ECMA 6 instead of taking the risk? Or are you all in on TypeScript? I hate that Microsoft is involved. End of quote. Hey, hey, now, you, now you're quoting comments off my GitHub site. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just say, hey, I just thrown that out here. You could have come from anywhere. So, could have come from anywhere. So how um, do you feel about that, Dan? I, I think the guy's one, uh, onto something. I empathize, I sympathize, because there is some truth to the initial part of that comment on certain uh, frameworks of the past. I sadly think you can say that about a lot of companies, though. I think they're pointing out Microsoft here when, in reality, I won't name names, but I can pick several other big companies right now that have done the exact same thing. So I think that point's kind of a little bit moot. I do think it's something that I personally worry about. Yeah, you got to worry about that stuff. In this case, I think the difference, though, is this first off is fully open source. So the compiler even... Even the compiler hooks, everything you do with it is all out there. It's up on GitHub. You know, everybody can contribute. They take pull requests. Do they That's, take pull requests? They don't like reject them. Well, I, they might reject them, but they say they take them. <laughs> no, everybody takes. It depends on how deep it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I run an open source project, and we take pull requests, but that doesn't mean we take every pull request. Right. I, what I was asking was, so I talked to Jacob Rosie, who's the PM on Project Spartan, and he said they didn't use Blink. Because Google doesn't accept pull requests sometimes from Opera, and they didn't want to be in that same boat. So I'm just wondering, does the TypeScript team take pull requests from a Google, like an Angular team or an app team, is what I was asking. So let me ask you guys, though, before you answer that, does it really matter? Does open source mean you have to accept pull requests and pull them in, or does what's important about open source is that it's out there and they respond to issues and you have community contribution? I'm not sure I know or agree how I feel about that. Well, I think that one comes back to you know, the concern about Microsoft. In a good open source project, you feel like, hey, if the company decides they don't care about this anymore, they'll turn it over to the community. For me, I don't care if they take pull requests or not. I care if I invest in the product and the company decides they don't want to invest themselves anymore, that they'll turn it willingly over to the community. Do you know of any examples where Microsoft just turns stuff over to the community like that? Well, pretty much everything they're doing now is... I don't want to say totally turned over. I think what I think it was Joe said that I think on everything they're doing, it's now going open source. As far as one, I'm trying to think of one that that. Well, Ria Services was an example of one. Their Ruby effort, Iron Ruby, was turned over. 
Prism was turned over. Prism, yep, that'd be one. Yeah, so there are various products that they got behind that were actually used in the enterprise, and then they said, you know what, we know the community's interested in this, let's put it into the foundation and let it go. I think there is an important distinction between open source and source open, and some of the things that Microsoft has done is source open, meaning they're not taking pull requests. But TypeScript is one of the things where they are really soliciting feedback, publishing their process as they grow it, inviting pull requests, which means that they, at minimum, are going to evaluate them. And, of course, you have to sign something that says you're not going to hold patent rights, and Angular is the same way, exactly the same way. Oh, yeah. Before you can, yep. they'll take pull requests. They don't take every pull request, and before you can put one in, you got to say, hey, and this really is my work, and uh, you're wel- everybody's welcome to it. If you meet that bar, you're into a discussion. You can influence the outcome. I think it's pretty similar to what the Angular team is doing right now, actually. You know, they're not going to take every pull request. Obviously, they have the whole triage thing going on. I would assume TypeScript's probably doing the same type of thing. I, I doubt they're getting the number of pull requests quite yet that Angular gets. But to go back to the original question and comment that was more that you asked about, I'm going to side with what John said here. And at this point, if they did drop it or whatever, there's so much. I mean, they're on 1.5. This has been out for years now. And so it's very mature at this point. And uh, there's no reason somebody couldn't pick it up. And, the, you know, the good news is, given that it's based on ES6 type standards anyway, worst case, even if they did do that and said, ah, screw you guys, we're pulling it all. Worst case, you're going to have to convert some of your code just to pure ES6, then go with Babel or something. You know, I mean, but you're already like you're already 99% there. of the way there. Anyway. <laughs> you're already there. It's not like you're taking binary and saying, what do I do with this? You got exactly. JavaScript in your hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. seriously, so, my concerns with TypeScript are less about stuff like that and more about, you know, when you're writing TypeScript and you're doing stuff with JavaScript, how far do you go? What stuff do you do in TypeScript? What stuff do you just leave in JavaScript and change your file to a .ts? Do you actually strictly type everything? Do you leave it with an implicit any? When you're creating directives, which of the seven ways to create an Angular 1.2 or 1.3 directive do you use a TypeScript? I think there's just a lot of open questions on how far you go down that road and where the value is. Exactly. What do you do, Dan? What do you do, Dan? I mean, well, so we just did a big, as in two week, so not that big, but big. It was two of us though. Conversion, I guess you could say, from just regular ES5 to TypeScript. So, yeah, what we ended up doing was, you know, some people, I think, go letter of the law. And that's definitely not me. I'm not a letter of the law guy. I'm more spirit of the law. And every single thing has to have a type. Or if you have a complex object, it has to have an interface. And, you know, you have to have the, in TypeScript, you have something called d.ts files. They're type definition files that you can load up for Angular and jQuery and all these other libraries so that you get code help and you're passing the proper types and the compiler catches errors and all that fun stuff. So anyway, when it comes to doing types, what we ended up doing, because we kind of had a pretty compressed schedule, was some of the more obvious stuff, like where I'm passing a complex type that had no typing originally, so I'm passing, again, a settings object. Then we would make an interface for that because then it was really easy to catch if we screwed up because you know how it is. Some of these settings objects will have like, you know, 10, 20, 50 members you got to pass just to get the stupid thing going. I mean, ours didn't have that many. It probably had about 10 in this case. But by having that interface in place, you know, we're able to catch things and a little easier to know when we screwed up. You know, along the way, we also, there's also a TS lint. So we combined TS lint just to make sure our code was, you know, following the same type of things. And uh, so I think it just depends on the company and how far they want to go, because there's definitely no right or wrong way. If you want to go just almost like pure JavaScript with no types, 
but leverage ES6, then you can do that. But if you want to actually get all these benefits we've been talking about, then, you know, you can do that too. And it's very fluid, right? It's, you can just kind of pick and choose what benefits you want out of it and your investment. Absolutely. Yep. So I'd like to switch gears just a little bit. We've sort of already talked about this subject, but bring it to TypeScript and Angular. John, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit of TypeScript with Angular 1. Do you already discuss that, or do you have something more specific to say? So, yeah, I guess what, I, what I'd really like to know is, you know, you're using TypeScript and Angular. One of the things that's frustrating for me is I write a controller in TypeScript, and it works great. But when I go to write a provider in TypeScript, for example, it's just utter pain, especially if I need to inject something into the service that the provider returns from the get, the dollar sign get. So that's where I, I ask, and Dan, you being the expert here, how do you go down that road and where do you say, you know what, it's too much pain to do TypeScript for a provider, so I'm just going to use JavaScript and that, but I'll use TypeScript for controllers. How do you balance that? I'm with you, by the way. I'll give you another example. Depending on how you're doing your directives, those also can be a little challenging in TypeScript. I mean, they're challenging in general, but <laughs> especially with TypeScript. And the reason is that sometimes, you know, it's like you got this round peg and you got this square hole and you're like, nope, I'm going to make it fit, man. It's going. We ended up for this app I was kind of talking about, we didn't have a ton. There was only like, I think, four custom directives, but they were pretty good size. Some of them were pretty big. What we ended up doing there is I was one of the nope, the square peg or the round, whatever it is, going to fit. <laughs> I made it work. And at the end of the day, I kind of was like you. I'm like, you know... I actually think directives and uh, providers maybe as well are just easier if you just leverage JavaScript. So you can still save as a .ts file, of course, but you just don't use like classes. You just do more functional, you know, type stuff. So I don't know. I always, and I know, John, you say this too. It's like right tool for the right job, right? John, his silence <laughs> means that he truly does believe that. <laughs> yes, this is John and I totally agree. <laughs> My name is John and I approve this message. That sounds like ravioli and I love it. You guys are killing me. You guys are killing me. So, Dan, I'll toss one up more for you. What about a service versus a factory? Not the difference between them, you know, Angularized, but writing one in TypeScript. How have you felt about that? Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm changing my tune a bit. So I've always been a, more of a factory fan, mainly just because, I don't know, I like having the control over the object you return versus the, uh, you know, service where it's this dot or whatever you choose. I actually think services play a little bit better into TypeScript. You're going to write less code and things. This app I was talking about, this conversion, we ended up converting all the factories to services, actually, because it was just easier. I did the same, you can just, same exact thing. Yeah, I mean, did you run into the same problems? I mean, the syntax, it was really the syntax in TypeScript that was weird with factories, I thought. Given that you can do functional programming or more of the class type structure in TypeScript, that's another one where I'd say, you know, maybe functional is better for a factory if you want it. But... You know, you can make it work, and we did, but then I got to the point where I'm like, why are we doing this when we could just do a service, and it just looks like a regular old plain old class, you know? I did, not just because TypeScript, but I've also made that move because Angular 2 seems to be more class-oriented yep. for the comparable concepts. I'm also getting a little itchy about all the classes everywhere because I like functional programming. I don't want us to lose track of that, and you can program in a functional style, but certain of the... Angular concepts are more class friendly, and I think this is one of them. Yeah, and to be yeah. honest with you, there's if 
I'm going to be very clear. When I'm writing TypeScript and I'm doing Angular 1.x, I use controllers and I do directives and I do services with TypeScript classes. But if I do providers or routes or modules or configuration, I just use functional programming. Yep, I do too. I would add directives potentially to that as well because you end up jumping through some weird hoops and having to make your own little internal factories just to get yeah. this thing to work right. I you saw know. you did that too. You did the same thing I do. You basically create a static instance property. Yep. That, that's what I was yep. doing. Which I've now come to the conclusion that eh, I don't know if that's worth it. So Ward mentioned this. I think it's a good time to segue into TypeScript and Angular 2. So talk. Talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> well, number one, there's not a lot of great... I'm aware of one semi-robust example out there with... Have I mean, you, you done could, any Angular 2 in TypeScript, Dan? I've been using ES6 right now with uh, yeah. Angular 2. Yeah, and Same I'll here. tell you why, though. It's just because the 1.5 with the annotations and things, you know, it's still an alpha, mm -hmm. and there's instructions. If you go to their GitHub site, you use, uh, what's it called, Jake or whatever it is. To actually get it going. And oh, I didn't know anybody still used Jake. I think that's what they're using. I'd have to go double check the site, but I think so. And that's where I go, eh, I'll just hold off a sec. Because I know they're going to be coming out with a release pretty soon. So I saw you had a really good one, Joe, that came out. So good job on that. I Thank you. I've been doing that type of thing. For now, until it gets all stabilized, I'm kind of assuming that Angular.io will, you know, they have that five-minute whatever they're calling it, jumpstart yep. thing. Yep. I'm hoping they'll soon here in the next month or two have one on uh, TypeScript as well. But right. I haven't heard anything on that. So the Angular team and the TypeScript team got together, put their heads together. I know that they talked to the React team about React's uh, flow. I don't think that went anywhere. But they also talked with the Ember team, as far as I know, specifically Yehuda Cats. And Yehuda, out of this... And also Rob uh, of Aurelia. They, oh, that's right. Oh, Eisenberg. So they really tried to reach out across the spectrum of the top frameworks and the people who are involved in JavaScript definition to try and get some common ground and make sure they're covering their bases when they're introducing a new concept like annotations. Right. So I know that the big thing out of that, there's a lot of interesting things that came out of all those conversations, but one of the most interesting things was the fact that AtScript was essentially, I don't know if abandoned is the right word, but merged into TypeScript. So can we talk a little bit about that and what, you know, maybe what you know about that, Dan? Yeah, so, you know, I've only used the, I'll call them the normal ones. I haven't tried to write, you know, you can do custom decorators now. And I haven't mm -hmm. actually, uh, although I've seen a few examples here and there, I haven't actually had a need to write one yet. I've used the view, you know, the component, kind of the standard stuff that you see out there in some of the samples. So I just submitted, I, I don't know if we want to go too far down this road because I have a pretty strong opinion on this one. Usually I'm not that opinionated, but I do on this. Right now, um, on GitHub, I just submitted an issue, but it's more of a, hey, can we get some more freaking convention? Because right now, to me, while the annotations, I get it, and I like annotations because some of the other languages I use, we use annotations, just slightly different syntax. I think there's a lot of places right now where the way we use the annotations could be cleaned up a bit through some conventions. Mm -hmm. You know, as an example, with directives as of today in 1.x, if you name the directive my and then capital D for directive, then it's obviously my dash directive, right? 
Right. You don't have to go in and define a selector and do all that stuff. Well, in Angular 2, as those know that have played with it, you go into your component and you say selector equals and, you know, or selector colon. And I like the ability to override the default, but I'm hoping that they'll build in some more defaults so that the annotations are a little more simplified. You don't have to define as many properties. Another one's the view URL. You know, you can do inline or, you know, template URL type thing. And I think if we had some smart defaults there, it would really clean up that whole boilerplate code. Right. So if anyone agrees, go find, go to the issues and uh, say, yes, I agree. Cause I think there's actually been a couple of people that you guys will know that agree. Cause I think we can just eliminate some of the boilerplate, but I like annotations in general. And that's why I think why Ember is going to be using them as well. And you know, some others. It's it's changing so much. I have a friend who's, he's writing a four part blog series about writing apps with Angular 2. And he says just from his first blog post to his second, stuff changed, and he had to rewrite some of the first blog posts just to work. And so it's all pretty dynamic still in the alpha phase. Dynamic is a very kind word for that. Yeah, Yeah. that's why I'm not jumping full board yet. I was actually just at Google last week uh, visiting the team, and they said actually the API, some of the naming conventions are changing on an hourly basis, which is why Mm -hmm. I'm not on that train. Nope, just me yet. <laughs> you know, but and if it was a train on an hourly basis, that'd be. I get kind of bugged by this too. If people like, like, okay, I'm the style guide. I'll just let a little pet peeve of mine. I'm getting people up there saying, "Why don't you have the Angular 2 style guide out yet?" Hey, <laughs> it John, yeah, exist. Yeah, John, why don't you? What's wrong okay. with you, John? Who would you have like- a full-time job? Dude, I mean, who in the right mind would go out and run and create an enterprise application using an alpha product right now? I mean, you're not going to do that with your mainstay product. And second, a style guide. Let's go here. You're going to have conventions. You have to have some kind of track record with it first, right? To figure out how you're actually going to use this thing and what the right practices are. I think people are getting a little too excited too early. The same thing people complain about, and I'll stay in my soapbox, is they complain about this world changes too fast. Things are changing, coming, and going. Well, you know what? Give it a chance to get out the door first before you actually jump all over it. I'll be honest, John. I don't know what you're complaining about. I'm already in the middle, halfway through, publishing my Pluralsight Best Practices in Angular 2 course. Nice. That's great, Joe. <laughs> I'm skipping Angular 2, and I'm already telling them what about the fashions and styles for Angular 3. <laughs> hey, I, love it. I don't rant much, so that was my rant for the month. No, I totally agree with you, though, because it's like people complain. It's like, dude, it's alpha. I mean, Lucas just said, literally, they might have just changed an API since we started talking. In their weekly meeting notes... Google's just barely to the point where the Angular team's just barely to the point where they're ready to help one of the teams internally try to convert to So, I mean, it's super early. You guys are all justified and like everyone's justified in not jumping on board yet because Google's not even converting, like not even just to see how it works yet. So right. it's still early. For sure. So, so I'd like to talk a little bit about the Angular community in relationship to TypeScript. I personally feel like Until a few months ago, the only portions of the Angular community that were using TypeScript were those who were using a Microsoft backend. And since the Angular team has met with TypeScript, they've absorbed what AtScript is going to be into TypeScript, they are obviously on board with the idea that types are a good thing. I feel like that's breathing new life into TypeScript, not per se that it needed any new life because it already had a very strong following, but in an area that it normally would not have gone, and that is to the general 
open source front end developer that isn't doing Microsoft. So, uh, I'll give you my end. opinion, Joe. I think you're right, but I think I'll tailor it slightly different. So where I've seen the change is that there's a lot of .NET Microsofty folks who weren't even looking at Angular or TypeScript mm. until they heard that. I've seen people who weren't going web. And now they're like, you know what? Now that Microsoft's getting in bed with Google in this, let's go ahead and go TypeScript and Angular. I haven't seen and actually talked to too many people in the open web community who said, I'm going to go TypeScript now, who are doing JavaScript with Angular. I'd love to see that, but I don't know I, if I have. I have definitely seen the thing you're saying you're not seeing. I'm not, like, dialed into the Microsoft community like you guys are, though. So, and I'm seeing people, like, finally excited about using a TypeScript. I think... Joe, you said it didn't necessarily need new life. I think Babel was about to kill everyone, and I think TypeScript hooking you to the Angular horse, I think, will kind of help it stay relevant in this explosion of Babel. And so I'm kind of excited that they picked TypeScript. And as a JavaScript guy looking for an, an alternative solution to get ECMAScript 6, I'm actually excited that they picked TypeScript instead of Babel. I think it's just a good call. Well, and well, on that note, real quick, I saw, I think it, yeah, oh, no, it was on Twitter. It sounded like they just met with, I can't remember his name, the guy from Babel, though, too. Sebastian? So, yeah, they, I don't know. I saw a, a tweet come through and said, just met with the team, and it was a, you know, Babel. I haven't met him, but I think it's cool that they're not forcing us down, like, one road. You know, even if they use TypeScript to build the framework, you know, we could still use ES5. We could use ES6 with Babel. We could do TypeScript. I like it. It's cool. It gives us options, you know. I think we really need to make a distinction also between the effort to transpile to ES5, to take ES6 and transpile to ES5, which is the thrust of things like Tracer and was 6 to 5 is now Babel. The development environment and the type support and all that kind of thing that comes with TypeScript. So it's very tool friendly. TypeScript brings those things together. And the other thing that, you know, we keep talking about how well it runs in Visual Studio, but, you know, we had that great demo of it running inside Sublime. How many other text editors Web, and IDs Web does it run Webstorm supports it? TypeScript phenomenally right. well. Right. It's just easy to run everywhere and bring the tooling support. And that's a lot of what I think people really want to do. They want it to improve their development practices as well as give them access to ES6-style code. Well, I personally hope that even though right now authoring Angular 2 in ES5 is a real pain, and I haven't seen anybody really make any kind of an effort to do it, Right now, it's ES6 is where it's easiest to author Angular 2. I hope they come up with a good story, a, you know, a good ability to author Angular 2 in ES5. But I like the fact that right now it's way obvious that it's a much better story in ES6. And that continues on whether you're using just plain ES6 and say Tracer or, or even Babel or TypeScript, that it moves a lot of people to say, hey, I can actually expand my tooling because I think we just got a lot of groups and projects out there that are just authoring ES5, not for a good reason, just because of the momentum of, I don't want to spend the time and figure out if putting a transpiler into my process. And I'd like to see that go away for the most part. Joe, Dan, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, are we saying that we would rather get to a place where we don't need to transpile? Well, that's certainly true. But I think that's so much farther out of our control because the browsers and number of people that are using an older version of Internet Explorer is something that's a lot harder to control. I would say yes to that, but I'd also be fine if we are transpiling, just as long as we're using ES6 more, using TypeScript more than we are right now. 
So let me go a different direction because I'd like to hear, Dan, your opinion on this too. You know, Dan and I, those who don't know, full disclosure, we wrote a TypeScript course for Pluralsight a couple of years ago. So we're both in that world, but we do a lot of JavaScript. And the thing I'm curious on, Dan, is I've been looking at things differently lately. What if TypeScript wasn't really, don't look at it as a language, but you look at it as a tooling opportunity, right? So let's say you're just a developer out there working in JavaScript and Node and you're happy as can be and you're running along. Are there things that maybe tooling can take advantage of, like WebStorm, for example, that would light up using TypeScript to help the regular JavaScript experience without actually having to write TypeScript? Definitely. You know, I think the definition files, you can suck those in. And for those not familiar with the definition files, they're basically just a bunch of, in a nutshell, TypeScript interfaces that, you know, for instance, a jQuery.d.ts file has all the code to basically describe the higher level API of uh, jQuery. And so, yeah, uh, tools could literally, even if you're just writing, you know, ES5, but you're going against Angular or, you know, jQuery or Aurelia or whatever it is, then I think those are the first things that come to mind are the uh, type definition files, because those could be used by an editor to kind of enhance your experience. So I don't know how much you know about Flow, and I've also seen that Angular right now includes the RTTS, which is a runtime type system, which I personally know nothing about. I know that Float has similar goals to TypeScript in that, except they do sort of a more passive, we're just going to look at your code and infer some type information and try to warn you about it. Do you have any opinions about that versus TypeScript? Well, you know, number one, I think it's cool. I think anytime you can get built, if it's good type inference, I think it's cool. Uh, TypeScript will do that as well. If you can't figure it out, you know, it'll default to an any type. You know, you only have a few basic types built in. So, you know, you can do number, you can do string, you can do array, you can do any, and there's a couple other null and stuff like that. But I'm a big fan of type inference. And even in compiled languages that leverage that, I typically will jump on that because uh, normally it saves you a little bit of typing and hopefully catches a few errors along the way too. Right. I like it. All right, we'll move on to picks. So, John, do you want to go with your picks first? Yeah, I'm going to pick, I'm not sure when the show's going to air, but I'm going to pick something I'm super excited about. It's a double pick. What an awesome year for movies coming out. First, we got Marvel coming out with the Age of Ultron. I'm so excited about that. Actually going to be checking that out on opening day. And then Star Wars, the new trailer. Man, if you haven't seen that trailer, I got goosebumps watching it, especially at the last 5, 10 seconds. Especially a uh, minute 35 into it, right? Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, man, I just love it. I want to ruin it for everybody who hasn't seen it, but dude, check that out. So those are my picks. If you haven't checked out the trailer for Star Wars or checking out Ultron. Those are the big things I'm looking at. And as far as the coding thing goes, my pick's going to be checking out the d.ts files, as Dan pointed out, for TypeScript. I've been playing a lot lately in just JavaScript and using TypeScript's typings to kind of help, help me get along. And that's been a good thing for me to look at because it's been a nice way to make my JavaScript experience better. Awesome. Kati, do you want to do your picks next? I have two. My picks are Lord of the Rings because I've just started reading the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion, I think that's how you pronounce it. And Silmarillion? My other, yeah, Silmarillion. That yeah. odd word. It's a hard book. That's a hard book. I just started it today, so I hope I can finish it by the end of next month. And my other one is also going to be Age of Ultron because I'm going to a 29-hour Marvel movie marathon at the movie theater, so... Nice. Really oh. excited for Ultron. Actually, you're grounded. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you should have done Can't your homework. Tell me how to live my life. Yes. Go to your room. The 
beauty of being a 16-year-old. Although, I will be honest, if they had a 29-hour marathon for Star Wars, I, I'm not sure that I wouldn't <laughs> be there. All right, Aaron, how about you? I'm going to pick a book called Matterhorn. I love books that chapter one just pulls you right in. This is a Vietnam War book. The author, it took him 30 years to write it. He's a Vietnam War veteran. It was super intense. Chapter one pulled me right in, and it was just epic tale of a, a Bravo company and the Marines. It was, it was intense. So I'm going to pick that book. I'm also going to pick, again, I mentioned it once, Tyler Russell's blog post series on building a time zone picker in Angular 2. Time zone pickers are so much harder than you think they are. There's like more than just picking one of the time zones because certain parts of the world at certain different dates are on different time zones. So you like you have to like almost do it by city and he walks you through the easiest way to get like a, an accurate time zone picker for everybody, not just the people who are in kind of the standard time zones. So anyway, I'm going to recommend those two things. Yeah. Tell me about it. I was in Australia and there's a certain part of it where you go north and they decided that they weren't going to advance the time for daylight saving because they were afraid of disturbing the cows. Dude, the cows don't like to be messed with though, right? So, no, no, man. They don't want that milking time moved up and down. They're very regular. No. Yeah. Come back tomorrow, same time. So I was in Arizona and <laughs> about that uh, daylight savings time. Guys, was... we don't do daylight savings time in Arizona for everybody that's just like, <laughs> what is he talking about? I was wondering. I, I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, Dan was, knows. Dan know. knows. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Dan's my bro. <laughs> Speaking of which, I want to go with All my right, pick Lucas. now. Thank you. Yeah, go for it. So one of the beauties of being on this podcast is not only do I get to talk, but I actually get to listen. And I've made some really good friends who put out a bunch of great content. So my pick is because nobody else will say it. TypeScript Fundamentals by my buddy Dan and my buddy John. I definitely uh, think it's a good place to start. Oh, you're a good guy. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, Ward, how about you? Okay, on the TypeScript front, I wanted to mention a GitHub site called Definitely Typed. And Dan, do you want to tell them what's there? Uh, I'll give them the basics, but Ward, you know, you you know more than I do anyway, so. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, definitely type. That's where you can get these type definition files. So they also have a tool, TSD, where it's kind of like a bower for type definition files. And so if you want to get jQuery, Angular, and those in, you can. Works really well, actually. And that's the nutshell version. You can go shopping there for type definition files for uh, open source projects. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, why the heck isn't Breeze in there? So we got we to gotta publish our... Oh, it is up there. Duh. Yeah, so it's pretty easy. If you've got a project, an open source library that you want to have published, you can publish it right in there. And they take a pull request for your definitely type files. So we do that too. So that's my technology pick. My fun pick is a great article in Harper's that I just read called The Quietest Place in the Universe. And it's about the hunt for dark matter in a gold mine in Lead, South Dakota. It's one of the most brilliantly crafted science articles I've read, as it uh, deals with the human dimension, the social dimension, the history of science dimension, as well as what's actually going on there in the effort to detect the undetectable. So I highly recommend that, and I'll uh, post a link. Awesome. Dan, I'll have you go last, so I'll do my picks next. Two fairly short picks. The first one is the new Daredevil TV show that Yahoo just came... Is it Yahoo or 
Netflix. It was Netflix. Netflix just came out with. Watched just the first couple episodes. Thoroughly enjoyed them. Can't wait to watch the rest. Just heard they got picked up for a second season. So yes. pretty excited about that. And then my second pick, I picked a similar, kind of the same thing on JavaScript Jabber was uh, just GoFundMe in and of itself because it's a really cool place to go raise some money. The reason I'm talking about it is uh, I have a niece who's got spina bifida, confined to a wheelchair, is intellectually challenged and got involved in this kind of a talent competition. It's called Miss Amazing and she won in Utah and gets to go to nationals and I wanted to help raise some money to send her off to California so I created this fund and I just found that GoFundMe is just a great way to do this and what an awesome idea and an awesome place. So my pick is going to be GoFundMe even though I'm going to actually put in a link to my niece's fundraiser so if anybody wants to spend a couple of bucks on a really good cause please feel free but my pick is going to be GoFundMe. I just think they've created an awesome platform. What a great way to use technology to make the world a better place. That's kind of a Kickstarter for nonprofits. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. To donate to somebody for a good cause and it you know, you see all kinds of weird things. Like, I think they have GoFundMe's for helping, you know, buy a joint, all the way to, uh, <laughs> you know, I just lost my family in a car accident, and I need money to help just to bury them. You know, things like that. There was a really one that showed a lot, had a lot of traffic about this guy that was walking, had been walking to work for like eight straight years, and he was spending four hours each way walking to work because there's no buses that went the route he needed to go. And somebody created a GoFundMe to get him a car, and it ended up raising like $150,000 or something because of all the coverage it got because of this guy's amazing story, how he was so dedicated to providing for his family, even though he had to walk eight hours, he'd rather walk to work than go on, you know, unemployment and and whatever, and keep his good job that he just happened to have to walk a ways to get to where the factory was. So that's but how I'm going to... Very cool stuff. That's how I'm going to get my Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You need to start your GoFundMe for your Tesla. I will definitely contribute at least $1 to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope the uh, $1 includes a test drive. I'll send you a picture of me riding in my Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, Dan, you are up. I'll do, I guess, two as well. Uh, so for my kind of non-technical pick, Igor gave a talk at NG Comp, kind of on the whole mindfulness and meditation. And uh, it's something I've been doing for, I don't know, the last year and a half, a little more than a year actually now. So we actually talked about that talk before he gave it. And uh, he had a lot of good stuff. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. So he told me about a site. It's headspace.com. You can get like a free trial. And then after that, it costs. But if you're kind of into, hey, I just need to chill, I need to relax, you know, get a grip on life type thing, which is about a year ago, I'm like, you know, I need to get a life. So I started looking more into this stuff. Really, really uh, nice walkthroughs that they have up on the site if you're interested. So check that out. He mentioned, I believe, as well in his talk. So my technology pick, some of you guys might have heard of this. If not, it's really cool. It's Faker.js, and it's basically a way to simulate fake data in apps, but it goes like above and beyond what you'd expect. So, you know, you want first names in English, you want first names in German. It has a whole API. So I'll put the link in the chat here so that you guys can add it after the show, but uh, definitely check it out if you want a prototype. The picture on that GitHub page is awesome. For uh, the faker? For faker. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, what's that guy from? I remember that cartoon when I was a kid. I have no idea. I don't recognize that. I recognize that guy. Maybe it was a <laughs> different tweak of it, but anyway, yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dan. We really appreciate it. Great talk. Great topic. Always great to have such a fantastic personality and contributor to the community on uh, the show. Always good to talk with you guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks, everybody else, for showing up. We'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.